0: Welcome to the last show of the uh, weekday. we are back in, uh, of course, on the weekends with the employment law show. But here now, set to go, John Scholes, along with Stan Feinselberg, courtesy of Stan Firu To Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Lots to get through today. We're going to crack open the old uh, email inbox and uh, machete our way through as many of these as we can. You can keep sending them anytime. By the way, you, uh, one of yours might appear on the show, and uh, you'll get your answers. Help at employmentlawyer.ca to email and anytime you want to call the show over the next half hour. would love to get you on air with anything concerning your employment law rights, something you don't know about, something you're not sure you've been told might be BS. Well, we can clear it up for you. How about that? Take the uh, the mystery out of it because it's important stuff we talk about all week here on the show. So Dan is always here ready to answer answer uh, your calls. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca and any other time you can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That website free and anonymous and the severance pay calculator is there as well. So there you go. Email- emails coming up at first stand. What do you got off the top of your uh, your case of the day, pal? What's going on?
1: Yeah, what's going on, John? And hello to our listeners. So I just wanted to start off uh, the thought of the day by a recent case that I came across, and just uh, a concept I think we've talked about a couple of times on the show, John, and that's the concept of frustration of contract. Mm -hmm. So frustration of contract, as many of our listeners would would know, is the general idea that through neither party's fault, through neither the employee's conduct or through neither the employer's actions, you know, the employment contract cannot continue. Uh, and the, the you know, classic example of this is when there's a medical disability situation where, unfortunately, you know, an employee, just because of their medical condition and something that happened again outside of either party's control, can't continue in their job. And the Employment Standards Act actually has a specific provision that relates to that specific situation. Uh, it actually may, has a specific clause that says if you lose your job because of frustration due to medical disability, you're still entitled to your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. But you know in this particular case, things became a little more nuanced because it actually had nothing to do with a medical issue. In this particular case, basically in 2020, uh, the Clarion Lakeside Inn had a massive fire. And due to that fire, essentially had to shut down and was actually shut down at the time not only was this initial case heard, but by the time it got into divisional court, John, it had continued to be shut down even as of 2020. Uh, and essentially the employees were arguing that, you know, they believed that they were entitled to severance hmm. and the employer took the position that no, no, this was a frustration of contract that it wasn't our fault. The hotel broke, uh, burnt down and it's been two years. So, you know, you, unfortunately we're very sorry, but we don't believe we owe you anything in this situation. Uh, and, and the court looked at this situation and actually said that it wasn't frustration of contract.
0: Ken, thank you for standing by. And, uh, what's your question, Bell? Uh, So,
1: I got injured back in January,
2: and I'm on WSIB. I have now found out that my employer has replaced me because it is a small company. I am wondering if I am entitled to severance once I'm back fit, or if I just follow WSIB and do the retraining.
1: So, is WSIB working with you to get you back into your role? Because usually that's how WSIB would operate in cooperation with your employer.
2: Yes, they're, they're working for me to get back into the role. However, because of the degree of injury, I mm-hmm. will not be able to return doing my previous job.
1: Okay. So it becomes a question of, A, can the employer accommodate you um, if there is some sort of other job for you? And if not, then we were actually just talking about a concept before I was cut off called frustration of contract. Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, and, and if it's, true that as a result, essentially, of your medical disabilities and issues, you can't continue in any role the employer has, especially if you're talking about a small employer who may have a very limited amount of opportunities to provide you. Then in that situation, they would still owe you some severance, but it would be limited to your uh, minimum entitlements under the Act.
2: Yeah, because um, I'll I'll briefly tell you what I do. I'm a tow truck operator. Sure. So I, I do a lot of physically demanding work. Mm-hmm. And I've torn pretty much all the muscles and tendons and ligaments in my shoulder. Okay. So it, it's definitely a medical reason why mm-hmm. I will never be able to return to doing that job.
1: Yeah. Again, there may be ways, you know, to to accommodate you in that job. I, I know I have a client who had similar issues actually, and he was given a uh, motorized wench to try to put him back in the position. And these are the types of accommodations that, you know, WSIB and yourself and your employer should be having discussions around. But if you're saying it ultimately based on your medical evidence and based on WSIB's assessment and your employer's assessment, that there just really isn't a role there for you, then, again, you still would be entitled to some severance and you have the retraining option through WSIB, thankfully. Uh, But the severance would unfortunately be limited to your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act.
2: Okay, so that's five years, that would be like two weeks for every year type thing?
1: It would be two weeks if your employer has a payroll of over $2.5 uh, by the, As you mentioned, the employer is a small employer, so it likely doesn't have that large a payroll, in which case your entailments uh, would be limited to a week per year.
2: Okay, okay. Thank you very much. That answers my question.
0: No Thank problem. you, Ken. Appreciate you uh, reaching out, pal. Any further questions for Stan, you can do so by uh, calling 1-855-821-5900 and uh, email as well, right? Help at employmentlawyer.c. I we'll get to one email before we break here in a couple minutes. Uh, Kelsey's up, says, hey, Stan, I've worked through two separate employment agencies for the same company for over 20 years. They laid me off during the pandemic. And then in January, the employment agency terminated me. Is there anything I can do
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, this is one of those really interesting situations where it often becomes an issue of who is the actual employer. Um, you know, in this, what it sounds like is that, you know, the employment agency is taking responsibility for the employment relationship. But at the same time, from what she, Kelsey says here in terms of working for a single entity for 20 years through an employment agency there's a good chance that really the employer is that entity and all of her 20 years should be counted by that employer. So really, by the sounds of the Kelsey, what you need to consider is who is the employer and possibly they both may be the employer in this situation. Uh, A lot of of this comes down to how much control do the companies have over you, who's providing you with the work, who's telling you what to do, uh, things like that. So, Kelsey, if you know if you haven't got a package from the employment agency that's satisfactory, you should contact us and discuss really who is the employer here and whether you know they're providing you with something that's fair.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're going to find out with that phone call that it's not unfair or is unfair based on that uh, that quick email she just sent us for sure. We're going to take a, a short break. Stan is armed and ready to go. We got a few more emails to get through, and you can send one, uh, not just for the show, anytime to Stan and his team. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. The employment law show stand by. Yeah, we're back. Still got some minutes for sure. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Stan Fenselberg is here answering all of your questions for the remainder of the show. Email moving on down. Rajesh is uh, is next. Says, my employer is selling the business and tells me the buyer is going to hire me. However, it's been almost two months and I haven't heard from the buyer. Can I still go after my former employer, Stan?
1: Yeah, Rajesh. I mean, absolutely. It sounds like a situation where your employer just kind of terminates you and is trying to to get away with, uh, with without telling you that. Uh, you know, obviously, if the buyer never contacts you, then you've never been offered an, another job. And in that situation, the the seller owes you money. Uh, and actually, John, even in a situation where the buyer might take Rajesh on immediately after the sale, if the seller doesn't give him enough notice. Or if they, you know, are a severance pay employer, uh, they may have to take on responsibilities for those payments as well, even if the buyer is pay, uh, purchasing the company.
0: So generally, if if uh, the company is sold, you're part of the company that's that's doing the selling, and you do not get hired by the new company, it's the responsibility of the selling company to pay your severance, not the new one, right?
1: If you don't get hired by the uh, the buying the buyer, then absolutely. Uh, okay. The obligations fall on the seller. it's essentially a termination uh, by way of the sale and they owe you you know whatever they owe you.
0: Is it a similar scenario stand if you're offered a, a job by the buyer, but it's it's vastly different or they're trying to put you in a different position. they're offering you a gig, but it's not the identical gig of the gig you're leaving from the sale. It's a different job. Can you do a constructive dismissal there and then who's responsible for the severance in that case?
1: Well, it's not necessarily constructive dismissal. It still may be a termination. The way you have to essentially analyze it is is the uh, employee in that situation required to take the job in terms of mitigation, right? right. Uh, if the job is r- relatively the same, if the compensation is the same, if the terms are roughly the same, then the court would likely say that they do have to take that job. But if they're trying to introduce unfavorable terms or a different job or, you know, in, in trying to bring in uh, a The termination clause into a 30-year relationship, for example, uh, where there had never been one before, changes like that may give you enough reason to say, no, that's such a different position that I don't have to take it, I don't have to accept those terms, and I'm still within my right to claim common law severance from my former employer from the seller."
0: Yeah, you raised a really good point there too, uh, along the same lines. I know we're kind of going down a bit of a rabbit hole, but it's an interesting interesting one you raised, and that is if you are hired, uh, you get a new job with the buyer and you continue working there. If, if there's no changes to your, your job description or a new contract, if like you said, you've been there for 30 years and they fire you six months later, you're now a 30-year plus six-month employee, no? They got to inherit your service.
1: Uh, yeah, Absolutely. You know, taking you on, again, there's really, you know, breaking it down two ways to buy a business, John. You can either just buy the shares of a business, in which case there's really no question. They're, you know, they've bought the entire corporate entity. Uh, It's no different than somebody buying shares of Walmart. Doesn't affect right. you, you know, a person working for Walmart, and their entitlements remain the same. Uh, the other situation is where a company is only buying the assets of another company, so it's not actually taking on the responsibilities of its liabilities and uh, and all other uh, shares and things like that. That's where it becomes a little bit more nuanced, and you have to essentially find that there's an implied term that they're accepting your years of service. And the implication is almost always there when they buy a business and the assets and you come along with that business. So it's really the the impetus is on the employer in that situation to make clear to the employee that, no, you know, we're not going to recognize your service. And even in that situation, they still have to, for the purposes of the Employment Standards Act, for the purpose of the ESA. Because there's a provision that that says, you know, you have to recognize a a person's service if you're buying the business and hiring them on. But in theory, just like it's possible to limit a person's entitlements by way of contract, you know, with a termination clause, the same thing can happen by way of contract here where you can say, okay, well, we'll recognize your service for the purposes of the act. But we won't recognize your service for the purposes of the common law, and we're going to limit your entitlements, similar to a termination clause, to the act.
0: Moving on to uh, Danny's email says, Stan, I refused to get the vaccine for religious reasons, but my employer would not budge and terminated me without saying anything or without anything. Is this discrimination and wrongful dismissal? You no, know,
1: the answer is very much, it depends. It depends on the nature of your religious uh, exemption. Uh, depends on the nature of your job. Uh, that depends on, you know, essentially what they've what they've said to you. Is it an unpaid leave is it a full termination? Do they have intentions to bring you back? And what kind of evidence you also provided with respect to your religious exemption? But you know, there's no question that this is a really nuanced topic. And there's actually been one, you know, arbitral decision in the labor world, in the unionized world which said, you know, a nurse in the hospital, no less, who applied for a religious exemption, that's, you know, where the arbitrator essentially agreed that she should have been granted an exemption. So it's a very nuanced situation. All uh, you know, the case law I can say is evol- is going to be evolving uh, over the next couple of years as it relates to religious exemptions and vaccine mandates uh, altogether. But, we certainly at Sanfiro believe that individuals should have uh, the right to express themselves from a religious standpoint. And I mean, really when we talk about accommodation, it's not supposed to necessarily be simple. You know, it's easy yeah. to accommodate uh, the, e- the easier one situations. It's much, you know, much more difficult to accommodate situations where you may not agree with the person or it's a huge imposition on the employer. But, you know, that's why we have the human rights code. And I believe it's for situations like Danny's.
0: Let's get Claire's email says, guys, my department is being outsourced to another company and this new company wants me to stay on as a contractor. Is that legal?
1: You know, it sounds very fishy and I can understand <laughs> where her hesitation comes from. It could be legal. Um, you know, companies do outsource, uh, divisions of large companies have outsourced their, uh, their operations to much smaller ones all the time. It, it kind of would depend on what are they actually outsourcing and how much control are they actually giving up as well. Are they still just going to be your employer just in the background? Uh, it's it's very again one of those situations where you need more information. But it's certainly possible it could be new, a new employment. You may not have to take it. Keep in mind, outsourcing is another term for a termination, and you're still entitled to severance in that situation. And they can't force you to take this job, again, if, especially if it's not comparable or provides for less compensation. So you know, you'd have to look at it from all those, uh, all those angles. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I mean, I would say it's termination and then evaluate from there.
0: Claire, appreciate that email. Again, you want to carry on with the phone call to uh, get more clarification. uh, That's easy, 1-855-821-5900. Short one from Jason says, hey, Stan, is the uh, general rule of thumb two weeks of severance for every year I worked there? Is that true? Mm -mm.
1: Uh, It's definitely not something I would say is true. I mean, it's not a bad, uh, bad way to measure it. But at the same time, you know, the other general rule of thumb that we often hear is a month per year, and that's usually a little bit closer to the mark. Uh, but all, really, you know, if there is no rule of thumb here, it's, it's really dependent on every individual fa- uh, individual's factors and kind of looking at their circumstances specifically it, to figure out, well, what is that person entitled to? Do they have a contract in place mm-hmm. or, or not?
0: pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. With any doubt, go to Severance Pay Calculator. Dan, we got enough time to squeeze your call in here. What's your question?
2: Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having my call. You know, listening to the show, I thought I'd actually review my employment contract I signed with my employer. And not that I'm suspicious of anything or right. any trouble, but <laughs> just looking at it, I, I'm wondering if you can help me understand if I'm entitled to more than two weeks severance with this quick sentence here. Should the company wish to terminate your employment without and in the absence of will, willful misconduct or willful neglect of duty, you will be entitled to only the notice or pay in lieu of notice. So does that mean I'm only entitled to two weeks should they wish to terminate me, or uh, does...
1: uh, Well, it actually means you're entitled to one week, uh, because notice and severance are something different under the Employment Standards Act. But, you know, you mentioned something uh, where it says pay in lieu of notice. And if you have group benefits, for example, uh, our courts have actually said that pay, pay in lieu of notice means paying someone money and not continuing their benefits and one of the obligations of the employer is that to actually continue your benefits so depending on that specific wording you know it might be attempting to limit you but there also may be a way around it because it might it might not be frankly legal so you'd have to essentially get someone to review the full paragraph and let you know what their legal opinion is but from what you've said just that sort short sentence i would say that there's probably a deficiency in that clause Okay, understood. Well, thank you so much for your help and understanding that.
0: Thanks, Dan. Appreciate your call. And uh, anytime you want to reach out to Stan, have him uh, let him have a look at it for sure. I mean, it's always good to get some uh, some clarification. And uh, and there you go. I mean, it, it sounds a little short sentence to the layman who's not a lawyer like you, Stan. That sounds incredibly confusing. But to your point, I mean, you always want to reach out if there's mm-hmm. any, and especially if you're taking a job where you don't necessarily have started yet, and they've they've slid a employment contract over, saying, "Hey, sign this." You say, "You know what? I will, but give me a couple days. I'm going to get Stan to review this puppy, make sure I'm not uh, sinking my own ship." But we. We are done for another night. It goes so quickly. Appreciate your emails and your calls there. you want to reach out to Stan now that we are through. Here's how you do that. It's 1-855-821-5900. The number, 1-855-821-5900. Email us help at employmentlawyer.ca. And about that whole severance thing, you know where to find it, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and use the severance pay calculator. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show.